If you never went through difficulty, how would you know that I'm a deliverer? If you never had a trial, how could you call yourself an overcomer? If you never felt sadness, how would you know that I'm a comforter? If you never failed, how would you know that I'm forgiving? And if you were never in trouble, how would you know that I will come to your rescue? If you were never broken, then how would you know that I can make you whole? If you never had a problem, how would you know that I can solve them? If you never had any suffering, then how would you know what I went through? If you never went through the testing fire, then how would you become pure? And if I gave you all things, how would you appreciate them? If I never corrected you, how would you know that I love you? If you had all power, then how would you learn to depend on me? And if your life was perfect, then what would you need me for? Today, I wanna talk about this life that we so want to be perfect, that we so want it to be this beautiful thing around us that everything fits, that everything makes sense. But I wanna say today that in this Christmas season, the only thing that makes sense is Jesus Christ, the risen Savior the day spring who's risen in our hearts and is coming again. And I wanna talk about something today in our readings in First and Second Timothy, and it's a subject of failure. See, we will all go through times of it, and you have to learn in the midst of it that it's one of God's ways that he matures his children, that he's working in those times, that your life is being shaped by the truth that he is with you and in those times. In 2 Timothy 4, 6 or 7, Paul is in the last moments of his life and ministry. And he says something. He says, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And in the Greek, it's a word picture. It was of, of a, like a goblet or of a cup that was filled with wine. And at the end of a banquet, at the end of a meal, they would pour it out. And he's saying, that's my life. I'm looking back at my life and it's about to end. But I've kept the faith. Timothy, keep the faith. You see, our goal is not to live a failure-free life or a pain-free life or a life that doesn't have brokenness but a life at the end, no matter what our failures were, no matter what the setbacks were, that we ran the race and we kept the faith. We kept going and persevered to the end. And it got me thinking about Paul's life as I was reading First and Second Timothy and how this man with all the ups and downs is now speaking into this pastor named Timothy, his protege, his mentoree. See, so often we look at Paul's life and we look through rose-colored glasses, we kind of read and see it. We don't see Paul's failures and his pain and his defeats, but it's all there. So Paul's life got me thinking about the failures and setbacks, especially living in 2020. And I think this subject weighs on me because we know that this quarantine, that COVID, all these things has driven the suicide rate up. We know that marriages are hurting. That some of you feel deeply ashamed over job loss or insecure about job security. We know there's been increased failures of sexual sin and just other sins. 
have been exposed and magnified during this time. I can take a gander that you failed. Maybe in your past, maybe someone called that to a failure. Failures make us feel inadequate. Inferiority is the best kept secret. It's harbored deep inside our soul where it gnaws on us. Some of the most successful looking people feel like failures. Maybe it's a failure from your past or a current failure. And most are unaware of it. They're unaware of your problems, unaware of what you're going through. And no one around knows, but it's there. You fear failure and pain. But it's in all times we are to learn when things do not work out well that God is still in it. See, great people in the Bible failed. Adam failed to protect his wife from the serpent. Abraham failed when he lied about Sarah, his wife, being his sister. It was a half-truth, and he did it on several occasions. And another time he failed with the whole Hagar debacle. He took Hagar, his servant, and had a child named Ishmael, who to this day is in conflict with the Israelis in the Middle East. Moses failed when he struck the rock in anger, something he wrestled with his whole life of anger. He failed in that moment to keep the Lord holy before the people, and he let anger get control over him, and he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Earlier, he had killed an Egyptian, taking his calling as a deliverer into his own hands and in his own way. Joseph failed in not building a relationship with his brothers that might have curved the jealousy they had. Instead, he lived in pride and provoked them. David failed with Bathsheba. A priest named Eli failed to raise godly sons who would be priests. He didn't even try to discipline them. Hosea lost his wife. Habakkuk was consumed with serious doubts in the will of God. Jeremiah failed with low self-esteem till God allowed him to fail and with a rebuke. John the Baptist got thrown into prison and questioned the integrity of Jesus' messiahship because he was behind bars. And Paul failed to accept the failure of John Mark and Barnabas to bring him along. And they left in a disagreement in separate ways. It was a relational breakdown. Peter denied Jesus three times. And even after he received the Holy Spirit, he still failed in the book of Galatians. We know doctrinally it had to be corrected. See, we think of Paul as this battle-hardened man of God that made no mistakes and had no struggles, but he had pain, mistakes, hardships. He was criticized because he was bold in letter, but weak in speech and in presence. Many believe he had a serious eye condition that would make him look really crazy, and he feared that when he presented the gospel, that it would hinder the gospel coming into their lives. He had worries and anxieties and he had failures. Many don't realize that in Acts, when he goes into Athens, he failed. So when he moved on to Corinth, it says in Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And he explains why in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, right before. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. He said that because he did that in Athens and failed. So I come to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. He was fresh off an evangelism failure in Athens with no converts. Only small amounts would even listen. But he changed things up in his gospel presentation. And he comes to Corinth and admits, when I stood before you was with much weakness and trembling and fear. And he goes on. 
In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he tells us more. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He's asking in that moment, can I go on? Can we go on? Every day wasn't a brilliant success. He woke up questioning. He turned in at night discouraged. He despaired. But he said, I figured out what God was trying to teach me, not to trust in myself, but in God who raises the dead. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, he learned that we are not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Paul learned the hard way through trouble, through hardships, through pain, and through failure. You see, the Lord allows us to fail in our strength so that we may learn that only by his power will we ever succeed. Paul learned through pain, hardship, and failure. Here's a quote that's annoyingly true, but it's hard. It's hard. A.W. Tozer says this, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And one that's very similar, Charles Spurgeon says, whenever God means to make a man great, he always breaks him in pieces first. And here's why. 1 Corinthians 1.29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. A.W. Tozer goes on to expound on what he was saying in that quote. He says, to move on to more kingdom responsibility and be used by God. And I want to quote him at length right here. He says, if significant suffering or failure is what is required to be used significantly by God, then perhaps we would rather not be used. Most of us who are honest feel the same way. We want to be used by God and we might be willing to suffer some, but we want to determine the timing and intensity and method. The truth is we want our grand abilities and keen insights to make us usable to God not our broken hearts and crippling weaknesses. The flaming desire to be rid of every unholy thing and to put on the likeness of Christ at any cost is not often found among us. We expect to enter the everlasting kingdom of our Father and sit down around the table with sages, saints, and martyrs, and through the grace of God, we shall. But for most of us, it could prove at first an embarrassing experience. Ours might be the silence of the untried soldier in the presence of the battle-hardened heroes who have fought the fight and won the victory and who have the scars to prove that they were present when the battle was joined. He goes on to write and says, I don't think this means that we are looking for experiences of suffering or failure if we want to be used by God. Living in this broken world, few of us have to look for it. It finds us. But when we have the choice, Will we see this as God being unkind or uncaring towards us? Or will we see in our suffering the loving hand of God preparing us for usefulness in this world and sanctifying us for an eternity in his presence? See, often he allows our self-inflicted wounds or even the failures of others that have wounded us to shape us. And we have to be responsive to him. Job says this in Job 23.10, but he knows the way I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Church, it's a promise. 
you will come forth as gold. I don't know how. And in the middle of the testing, it's hard, but you will come forth as gold. He knows the way you take. When you've gone through tragedy, sickness, the times that we are living in, a broken spirit, disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, and yes, your failures. He knows the way you take. And when he has tried you, you will come forth as gold. When you failed, he knows the way you take and you can trust him. Jen and I have been going through something where all we could do is plead for mercy and sit under his hand. At the same time, people said some cutting things. But we learned to let those tools become the Lord's for his own purpose regardless of their motivation. But it drew us to a place where we could cry out, a pain that drove us to our knees. A place where God says, I don't care what anyone else thinks or says, I want you to care in what I think and what I say. And then he said this, what I tear down, I will raise up again. Trust me. For some of you, it may be a moral failure, present or past. Maybe it was a, a divorce or something that keeps haunting at you. Maybe words from parents or people. Others, it's a sin that you can't shake or you won't shake. You see, failures, failure doesn't mean you have blown everything. It means you have some hard lessons to learn. It doesn't mean you're a permanent loser. It means you aren't as smart as you thought you were. It doesn't mean you should give up. It means you need the Lord to show you the next step. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned you. It means that God has a better plan. Listen, sometimes with pain in life, and I know we're talking a little bit about failure and I'm crossing over into pain. So often when we're wrestling with pain, people are like, well, move on, move on. But see, what God wants us to do is not move on. He wants us to move forward and it's different. You see, moving forward doesn't mean we leave behind the pain. It just means we're willing to let God shape us by the pain. He makes a prince out of pain. If you remember Jacob's continuous failure to lie and to deceive, but God confronts him. He wrestles with the messenger of the Lord, AKA Jesus, a Christophany, and is renamed Israel, meaning prince but he has a limp the rest of his life. The failure or pain never leaves, but God redefines it and he can redefine your pain. What he tears down, he will resurrect and transform you. So Paul's advice to Timothy throughout First and Second Timothy, it's loaded, it's beautiful, but I just wanna take one. He says this to Timothy, join me with, in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather he tries to please his commanding officer. In other words, how can a Christian serve God's kingdom while we're taking on the values and lifestyles of the world? We cannot. When he uses military language, it's an urgency of a battle going on, a spiritual battle the issue of discipline and taking on kingdom values are critical. Standing on the word of God like Paul instructs Timothy to do. You are a Christian soldier, but sometimes a Christian soldier can look like a civilian. And sometimes that civilian life looks attractive. It appeals to us. 
and we are attracted to the glitter of materialism, personal power, the pleasure of sexual immorality, and selfishness rules. And Paul's like, don't get entangled in that. And the Lord will wrestle it out of us. He'll bring us to a place where we have no other option but to cry out to him. Listen, somehow we've confused this whole Christianity. We think we're inviting Jesus to serve us in our kingdom, but we serve a king and a kingdom. Salvation wasn't making Christ a part of my world and for him to conform to my ways. Salvation was a blowing up and a renouncing of my ways to serve his kingdom. We don't follow Jesus to get this or that need met or to be personally fulfilled or to reach our potential. We follow because he's a king and it's his way, his truth, his life. And it's a call to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And it's a costly kingdom not a kingdom of comfort. It's a grace that loves us so much, it will not allow us to continue to destroy ourselves and others around us in our sin. And I don't mean it's always big sins. It could be bitterness or unforgiveness. For Timothy, it was fear and timidity. And Paul says, don't do that. You've given a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. It could be idols of wealth or bitterness or poverty. I don't know what it is. It could be eating or finances. Jesus will confront us with his holiness because he's a committed husband who wants the best for his lover. Remember, Jesus has been promised a pure bride and it was costly. It cost him his life on the cross to purchase your pardon. And when the bottom falls out and you're faced with your sin... He lets your life be shaped by the pain and failure of it. It's his signal that it's time to move on to maturity. Grace teaches us to say no to worldliness and ungodliness. And he will let the refiner's fire heat up in his people so we will be pure. I made the mistake of buying this Advent book and got it for the staff. Let me tell you, it's not a light baby Jesus Advent devotional. It's an all-out assault on the flesh while magnifying Jesus kind of Advent devotional. It's by a guy named Paul David Tripp. Come let us adore him. And I want to read a section from it. As we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we also need to reflect on the violence of grace. What do I mean? Jesus came to decimate our self-oriented kingdoms of one so that we could wel- he could welcome us into his glorious kingdom of wisdom, grace, and love. Grace destroys so it can rescue. Grace destroys so that it can bless us with something much, much better. Grace destroys what has held us in bondage and frees us to live, love, and serve, one greater than ourselves. Jesus came to endure a violent death so that in the violence of grace, he could free us from the kingdom of self and transport us into his kingdom of life and light that will never never end. Now that's a story we're celebrating. That's the Christmas story. It's not a mistake-free life, but a resurrected life we are to live and is lived out in the power of God, in the, by the spirit of God, in the kingdom of God. I love this quote. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. He came to deliver us from our sins and it's time we wake up. 
Band, you can come up. As they're coming up, many of you have failed and it's gnawing on your soul. It's just wrestling right there. And it keeps you from running the race, from moving forward. You have not been given a spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, Timothy, in First and Second Timothy, is pastoring the church at Ephesus, the Ephesians church. I want you to just reflect on this for a second. Because in Revelation, we know that even that church failed. Jesus spoke to that church. He spoke to that church. We even know this church. And why is that a big deal? Let me show you why. Because they had everything going for it. Everything. If there's a church that wouldn't fail, it would be in Ephesus. Paul stayed there longer and taught there longer than any other church. Timothy, his protege, was the pastor there. It's in Ephesus we find Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos. Those names might not mean to you, much to you, but they taught Paul. They were amazing. Later in church history, we know that John, the beloved disciple, was the leading figure in Ephesus. And he brought Mary, the mother of Jesus, there. And church tradition says she was buried there. But with all that, with all that, even that great church failed. And it's our action step today. Jesus says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. So he calls them to repent. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. See, they were doctrinally correct, but relationally cold. And Jesus says, I can't stand that. I love that you have great doctrine, but you need to fall in love with me again. You need the passion. You're the bride of Christ. Don't let your love grow cold. And whatever you're going through, if it's failure, maybe it's not failure, maybe it's suffering, maybe it's pain, whatever it is, God is with you. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. God is with you. He's with you. Remember, remember and repent. Repent of your pride. Repent that we think we know it all. He's God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And remember, remember. Repent and remember. See, if you know Christ, there's forgiveness. If you know Christ, there's forgiveness. And here's the beauty of it. You, if you're a believer, are covered with Christ's righteousness. That's the beauty in our failures. It's what he wants to do is walk up to us and clothe us in his righteousness. And say, stop over here. Stop doing it in your own strength. I've not given you a spirit of fear, timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Let me clothe you in my righteousness. Let me purify you again, my bride. That's what he wants for his church to remember. If you know Christ, you're covered with Christ's righteousness. His righteousness is my guarantee that failure isn't final. 
that the pain isn't final, that suffering is not final. His righteousness is not permission to sin, but his righteousness is permission to come back home. You might have fallen and you might have failed and you might have made a mistake or maybe you're suffering or whatever it is, but you're not a mistake. And God will never define you by your worst mistake and choice that you made. Will you stand with me? I wanna read one more verse to you. It's on the screen. It says this in the Proverbs, though the righteous fall seven times, some translations say seven times a day, they will rise again. They will rise again. You will rise again. I know it doesn't feel like it, but you will rise again. And I want you to say with me those words, in Christ I will rise again, to declare it by faith. Listen, by faith over your feelings, over what circumstances say, over everything in your life, declaring it right now that in Christ I will rise again. Will you declare it with me? Let's do it, here we go. In Christ I will rise again. In Christ I will rise again. If you need prayer this morning, Tim and Joni, myself will be over there. If you need to bow at the stage, if you need someone to pray with, please do it. And if you don't know Jesus, if you feel something drawing you, something's drawing you, that's the Lord working in your heart. And the scriptures say, call on the name of Jesus and be saved. He died for your sins. So you can be forgiven and in relationship with God the Father through him. He did it for you. If we need to pray with you to receive Christ, come over to next steps. We wanna do that with you. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, in the name of Jesus, we will rise again in Christ. In Christ, our perfect Savior, our perfect spotless Lamb, the Lamb of God who was slain. And we praise you for your first coming. We praise you for the celebration that you came and that you're coming again. We love you, Lord. As we proclaim your name, fill this place with your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen.